You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Oberson, your humble and obedient host, joined by our good friend, Pastor Jacob Menzel. How are you doing today, Jake? Well, how are you, Nathan? Fantastic! And over there, we've got the engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Benjamin J. Solzer. Benny J., how are you doing today? Good. Nathan, I'm good. I'm so glad to hear it. Ben, we're going to get right into things today, and it is of paramount importance that you share with us a article from the news. Sure. Back in mid-June, there was a pastor in Oakville, Washington named David George. David George. Pastor David George. Pastor David George, who uh, after delivering his usual Sunday morning sermon, went out uh, that afternoon with his family to Walmart, heard shots in the back of the store, being uh, a trained shooter himself, ended up meeting up with the shooter out in the parking lot and taking him down. This uh, this guy was kind of on a crime spree. Uh, he'd been carjacking and shooting people earlier in the day. And he showed up at Walmart and he was stealing ammunition and stuff. And then he went out to the parking lot and shot someone who wouldn't give him their car and was going to, I guess, get in it and drive away. When David George, who had already um, made sure his family got out of Walmart safely, confronted him, shot him a couple times, the gunman died. Did emergency medical stuff to, to save this, this other person who'd been shot and then basically quietly left the scene as quietly as he could. So this pastor was was trained as a an EMT and a shooter and all kinds of stuff and he was ready to do what needed to be done and he did it and he did it with humility. Not to downplay the the tragedy of what happened, but I think what I want to do is admit at the top of the program, since it's what we're going to be talking about, that my gut reaction to reading, my gut reaction to reading a story like that is, that's really cool. It's like a movie. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Pastor David George, probably the coolest pastor that ever lived. He was 46. Yeah. And he's got a particular set of skills. He has a particular (laughs) set of skills. I guess I'm probably the only one that thinks that that story is super cool, though, that has that immature boyish reaction to it, right? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably nobody in this room or listening is instantly fantasizing about what they would do in a similar situation. What's that sound? The baloney detector. (laughs) (laughs) New alarm in our show. Jake, the baloney detector sensed some baloney in what you were just saying. Emanating from my... uh, Emanating from your general corner of the room. (laughs) Why do you suppose the baloney detector went off? I was lying. (laughs) So you, in fact, think that that story is pretty cool? Dude got up in the morning, preached the gospel, administered the sacraments, loved his people, went to Walmart, Mm -hmm. and then he took out a bad guy, and then he saved somebody's life. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Just a typical day. I mean, you do stuff like that all, all the time. All the time, yeah. Fraser, yeah right? You'll leave here normal probably. Sunday I think for Jake's me. more of a hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of mean, that's right. That, I don't carry. Ninja attacks. Jake's your man. My hands, my fists are deadly weapons. That's right. So. right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I want to talk about. We see stories like that 
frequently in the news. And as men in particular, I submit to you gentlemen that it is very common for us to fantasize about what we would do in that kind of situation, for us to fantasize about the kind of cool stuff that we would do. Here, let me, let me ask you this. Have you guys ever sat in church? Now, I know you gentlemen are men of sterling virtue and... Uh, I take uh, notes during the sermon. Clouded minds. Ben's taking his notes during the sermon. Jake's sometimes giving the sermon for crying out loud. But I'm going to go ahead and confess, I've been in church before, my mind has wandered, and I've thought, what would happen if a gunman came through that door, started unloading, because obviously we do read tragically news stories of that sort of thing. Not only do we read tragic news stories about that thing happening, but we've had, let's just be honest, we've had threats. Yeah, we've had threats, we've had... Uh, Our church has been vandalized multiple times, We've, we've had threats of violence against our church against our pastors. Right. We have to think about that sort of thing. Right. And so, Ben, gunman walks into the church. What do you do? Uh, well, I, 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 you know, get up and start running towards him. I have my keys out of my pocket. I throw the keys mm-hmm. and expertly, I'm sure, right, right at his sure, eyes. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then I guess tackle him. You tackle him down? Yeah. Take yeah. him down. Yeah, I, 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 I grab the gun and I turn it so that it, like, breaks his wrist because he's holding on to it, obviously. Right. He's not expecting me to. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know how exactly it works, but that's that's the basic idea. <laughs> <laughs> he goes down, man. <laughs> I, I might get shot doing that, but I don't know. Fatally? Like, you sacrificed yourself it, to it, save it. I, I, I see it happening either way. Right. Even. <laughs> it could go multiple ways. Yeah. Jake, what do you do? I charge. You charge? Yeah, and I don't know what happens. I have one decision to make, and that's to go at the guy. Mm-hmm. And that's the decision I make. And I don't have any illusions about being <laughs> Jason Bourne or Benjamin <laughs> Q. Sulcer uh, in the moment. I, I firmly believe that it's a fundamental principle that in stressful situations, you sink to the level of your training rather than rise to your expectations. Sure, sure. And mm-hmm. so you just have basically one, I have one decision to make. I'm not trained. I don't have any, like this dude who did this thing, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, he'd gone to like tactical arm sit- shooter situation, training stuff, all right. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's he's a credentialed firing range safety officer. Right. He had a particular it, set of skills. He had, a, he had a particular set of skills. Yep, I yep. have a particular set of skills that involve talking a lot and writing and not necessarily using weapons or fending Mm. off active shooters my whole deal is i run at the guy i maybe i i'm yelling to get his attention Mm. if i can buy time and pull his attention away from innocent people in the congregation while somebody who knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. can take the guy out i mean i'm just gonna run until i tackle the guy and then i'm gonna hold Right. Like that's 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 it. That's all I have in my mind. And if I take, you know, 5000 bullets along the way in slow-mo right. and, and everyone sees and, you and, and is like, "Oh, Jake's such a hero." And die and then yeah. there's a, you know, a glorious yes. what you know, that's just the way it bonus. goes. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> bonus, yeah. <laughs> they make a movie about right. it. Get yeah, Kirk Cameron <laughs> plays Kirk you. Cameron will play me and and so Yes. Yeah. I I too have thought about this and I have the real answer and the answer that I want to be the real answer. The the, the real answer is the exact same answer that you just gave it's either either run at the guy and maybe you end up being cannon fodder maybe you end up being a distraction maybe a lot of things happen but if enough men are running at this guy then that's good or help 
get some women and children out, help evacuate, help shield people. Those would be the two actual options. But then when my mind drifts during the service, it's not always because I want to think about what would actually happen. Sometimes I want to think about what would be cool if it happened. Right. What I think would be really cool <laughs> is if I had just gone to the bathroom. And so I was out of the sanctuary. And then the guy walks in and he starts unloading with his assault rifle or whatever. And then I come behind him and I'm like, I've got a pen and I stab him in the neck and I bleed him out and everybody watches him die and everyone's like oh nathan's so cold and awful and terrible and we always we always knew nathan was cold and awful and terrible but now we understand nathan's <laughs> monstrousness is of utility to the church and we think nathan's so cool <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's what i do i'm i'm like a, a cross between jason Bourne and uh and, and and jason Voorhees. the the important thing is that i'm a jason now of course what should you actually do if you happen to be in the bathroom and the guy makes it to the sanctuary? Get the kids out. Get the kids out because he's in the sanctuary and all the kids are on the other side of the church. Right. Okay, so I, we, we should just say I wrote an article about this phenomenon many years ago now for the Warhorn when Warhorn was just a piece of paper and a couple staples when War, the Warhorn was a magazine before we were even online. And what I did is I asked a bunch of guys, uh, what have you considered this scenario and do you know what you could do. And it turned out that, you know, in my little informal poll, everybody had found themselves fantasizing about that. Some of them had very macho. Like one guy told me, gunman comes into the sanctuary. I pick up a chair. I hurl it halfway across the sanctuary. It knocks him in the head. He goes down. Very clean. Very clean. Easy way. <laughs> yeah. Just, just far and away, the most popular was I run, I absorb the bullets. I'm a hero. I die. People like that whole, the, the most popular macho fantasy was not, I'm Jason Bourne, I'm Liam Neeson, I have a particular set of skills, but it was, I sacrifice myself and everybody sees how wonderful I am. Okay, guys, for thoughts on all-American machismo, I can think of no better segment to go to than one of our favorite AM conservative programs here in Sanityville, Rapid Fire. Yeehaw. Greetings, fellow Americans. Welcome to Rapid Fire. I'm Stone Huntington. And I'm Lance Redford. And I'm Chip McGregory. And I'm Stone Huntington. And I'm Lance Redford. And he's Stone Huntington. And I'm Stone Huntington. Say, fellas, why is we the number two source for conservative rants on the internet? Chip, you clearly do not get Michael Bolton's Ezine. Nobody understands the need for a new confederacy like Michael Bolton. Bolton is a man of inspiration, a man of genius. I always thought his songs were kind of like hundred-year-old pieces of skunk scat. Have you taken your medication today, Chip? You mean my brain pills? The ones for the stupids? <laughs> the ones that keep me from saying things? The ferret in the top hat keeps telling me not to. <laughs> it's happened again, my fellow Americans. Another mass shooting stopped by a law-abiding, gun-toting, all-American citizen. Yeah! America! Do I love guns? Of course you do, Chip. You're an American. Oh, as American as E. Michael Bolton? Do you know how you get Michael Bolton, Chip? An eagle has a baby with an apple pie. But the lamestream media wants to take our guns away, boys. It's like they don't understand, Lance, that guns don't kill people. Well, bullets do. No, 
that's that's not what I was uh, trying to say. Throwing stars. No, that's chip. Chip. Ringworm. No, 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 no. Chip. That's rabbit raccoon bites. You need to go take your medicine right now. Chip. Heart disease doesn't kill anyone. Oh, actually, Stone, heart disease is one of the leading causes of death. In the, why, why are you looking at me like that? So, well, uh, anyway, uh, uh, what Chip? What Stone's trying to say is that uh, uh, Nancy eat fish, Nancy Pelosi. Oh, oh, oh yeah! Woohoo! Fish in your mouth. Wait, 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 Lance. Why fish? Because she needs a bit of brain food. <laughs> <laughs> Can't feed something that died a long time ago. Put those fish in your <laughs> The only heart disease, Lance, that we suffer from is a certain condition called heartbrokenness that the fat cats in Washington are trying to take our guns away. I'm proud to have three young boys who all handle their guns better than Davy Crockett. And <laughs> you got that fourth boy who shot off his foot. Now, Chip, the manufacturers of that particular shotgun did not foresee that their product would end up in the hands of a five-year-old. And that's why we're suing their pants off. Yeah, Chip. You know, Stone's like like uh, the father my children never had. I'm an ignoramus. And I'm Lance Redford. And I'm Stone Huntington, saying you get your smelly, fish-eating hands off of our guns, Nancy Pelosi, you bride of Frankenstein. All right. Thanks, uh, Stone and uh, Rapid Fire guys. Yeah, I guess you know, masculinity plus firearms is pretty pretty awesome. I mean, right? Hey, it's the Devil's Advocate alarm. Oh, okay. how about that? Huh. Huh. I actually went ahead and activated it myself, fellas. That's a first. Oh. I yep. I took a. I've done that before. Yeah, <laughs> took a page out of the Jake Menzel playbook here. <laughs> went ahead and activated the Devil's Advocate alarm because I am not comfortable now we should explain ben explain what the devil's advocate alarm is well if you're here for the first time with us the the dwa is the alarm that goes off when someone is gonna argue against what we've been arguing or saying and gonna gonna they're gonna make us fight for it nathan it looks like today that's you yeah i want to make us fight for it because i'm not sure i buy the entire where this episode is even going i'm feeling some discomfort here well hey I'm really ready to fight after that ad. Let me tell you. <laughs> Jake is too. Please don't shoot me, sir. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. I am really, really... Let me just start here. Because you might you might be thinking, what have we actually asserted that the devil can even argue against? Well, I don't know how much we've asserted, but what I'm going to say as the devil arguing against you guys is that I'm profoundly uncomfortable with macho posturing in the church of Jesus Christ. I don't like it. I think it's false. I think it gets us into a lot more trouble than it gets us out of. Is I that think... where our he manologian segment came from? <laughs> it's, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Pig? <laughs> that rapid fire segment, I think, was actually pretty good ammunition, if I may, for what I want to say is the devil, because I think what a lot of Christians, even some of our listeners out there, think is God, guns, and country. Jake and I were at a Christian, a conservative Christian conference the other day. We actually saw a t-shirt vendor who was selling a t-shirt, and this shirt said, Only two defining forces have ever offered to die for you. One died for your soul, and the other for your freedom. And there is a goofy picture of Jesus, and right side by side, there are some Marines. And there is a cross with the red, white, and blue in between them. 
I, I think always trust advertisers. Advertisers know you better than you know yourself. So if somebody thought that they could sell you a t-shirt, that they could make money um, appealing to your macho idea of what Christianity is, then that means that there's a lot of people out there that want to buy that t-shirt. And so that's where I want to begin is, is the fact that I, I find it uncomfortable when we start to talk about or give glory to these macho ideas of what it is to be a Christian. So, okay, but but the problem with trying to get rid of everything that's macho is that you actually end up getting rid of manliness in the process. And so uh, just because Stone Huntington is advocating this sort of kind of machismo about, you know, this pastor fighting off these bad guys doesn't mean that it was wrong for him to do it or that it's wrong for us to celebrate him mm-hmm. doing it or that it's wrong for us to think about what we would do in a similar situation. It's that last part that I want to argue with because yeah, you you can you can say that what you're doing is just calculating tactical odds so you can do the best job. But I mean, let's be honest. How many people are actually just spending a lot of time thinking about what they would do simply so that they can do it? I mean, how many people are actually trying to simply accomplish a manly job when they find themselves thinking about it? It takes about five seconds to think, what would I do tactically? But the reason we return to these ideas, the reason that we let them kind of percolate in our brain is because we really, really like the idea of being a man. We like the idea of being John Wayne, of being Bruce Willis. And I don't see that actually held up as godliness in the scripture. What I see is that we're called to be like Christ, that Christ was humble, that Christ gave his life for the church, that we are called to these same things. Uh, You can't set a false dichotomy between sacrificing your life for the church and sacrificing your life for the church. I mean, what we're talking about are people, men, who are recognizing a possible threat and trying to figure out what they would do in the event of that of that threat. And I'm not saying that everything surrounding that is pure or good, but the impulse is good. Yeah, it's the same reason that we keep on preaching on David and Goliath or talking about David's mighty men. We're not all going to be warriors or something like that, but we all we're all call, called to be strong men. Okay, so tell me this: when your minds drift during the service, mm-hmm. which we've you've yeah. both admitted happens. Is, yep. is that, are, are you actually saying that that's a good thing? Are you saying that a man should stop listening to the sermon, should stop listening to the music, should stop engaging in the prayer so that he can think about the the, the, the cool, manly, David-like bloodshed <laughs> that he would commit <laughs> if the, on a, a one in a thousand chance he was called to do it, even though most men in, no, in no, the I'm Western not, world in America are actually no. not called to that kind of work? No, I, I'm, I'm not arguing that at all. A man in the service, the most manly thing he can do is be fully engaged in the service. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. But the impulse in and of itself to think what would I do if these people in front of me were threatened and to process that that's a good impulse that needs to be harnessed and put in its proper place not killed and there are a lot of people out there that want to kill that Mm -hmm. impulse tell me this let me let me ask you this Jake when you imagine because you alluded to the idea that you're going to run yeah the guy you also alluded to the idea that sometimes in a funny sort of self-deprecating way what sneaks into your brain is oh I'll absorb the bullets I'll go down I'll I'll have a beautiful funeral now give, give me a percentage how much of your thinking about this of your fantasizing about this is you calculating godly tactical odds so that you can do the right thing and how much of it is self-aggrandizing imagining that you're Bruce Willis or that you're John Wayne what I feel like most of it is is me trying to shore up 
courage against cowardice in that situation. My fear is that that situ- situation would actually come and I would I would run or hide. And it's just about convincing so, myself. No, no, but let me get on. this straight. Let me get this straight. You are telling me, you, you, you would prescribe in a counseling meeting, you would tell a young man what you should do is fantasize about how cool you'll be. You should <laughs> fantasize. You should fantasize about the awesome thing that you'll do. About how you'll be like John Wayne, because that'll help you shore up. Because you're a coward. No, 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 no. Instead no. of maybe relying on God, instead of being humble. Terrific equipment to have a battle with. When you get GI Joe and the authentic GI Joe equipment, you'll have the greatest realism, the greatest fun you ever had in playing soldier. Box after box of authentic uniforms and equipment so you can change your G.I. Joe soldier into a camouflage marine. Instead of doing the simple things that actually help you grow in godliness, what you should do no. during church <laughs> is think about how you would be cool in a situation and that that'll help give not you the courage. I, that is not what I said. I would tell any young man to never expect himself to run at the guy with a gun unless he has committed himself every day to dying to himself in little small ways. And yet you, in the service... Think about how you would run towards the man with the gun. I don't think about how I would run. I tell myself, if he comes, you had better run towards him. You admit there's an admixture of... There always is. ...self-aggrandizing, hero worship, wishing you were cool. Yeah, yeah, there always is. And And what I'm saying is that... It's abominable. What I'm saying is that that's toxic. (laughs) It is, in fact, toxic. I agree with you. Let me actually read from the scriptures here. This is from Matthew 5, uh, verse 38 on. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Yeah, Jesus there in that passage is talking to people about taking personal vengeance when they're offended or affronted. He's not talking about what to do in the case when innocent people are assaulted by evil men. Sounds like nonviolence to me, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> ben, are you joining forces with me? Well, I, I was, I don't know, I was just thinking that in my you know, gunman fantasies. I'm not really thinking about showing up my courage. I'm thinking about how I want to be a hero and be validated as a man. And that's and, right. Uh, that's I don't think Jake has begun shameful, to actually. admit. And, and, and I don't. I don't mean to. I, I don't want to denigrate Jake. I don't want this to get personal. But I don't think Jake. I think Jake is being very cagey about not admit, admitting how much of this fantasy is actually just a macho, self-aggrandizing fantasy. I think it is for a lot of people, and I, I think it is for me to a certain extent. I'm just trying to be honest, though, with myself. What I hear almost universally, and you know, I did this little study where I asked everybody. Most yep. people weren't calculating tactics. Most people weren't trying to shore up. Uh, you know, their their god response for when anything like this could happen. Most people were thinking about a scenario that they would never be in and they were daydreaming about, about how awesome how they would be. Awesome yeah, they would yep. be. happens all the time. And a lot of them, this is why I admitted earlier that there's a little bit of bloodlust. You know, people might have been a little horrified by my version of the scenario, right. but I was representing the fact that I think a lot of people, I mean, why do we play video games where we just shoot people in the head and that's the entire point of the video game? Why, why do we watch violent movies? Why do men love 
these kinds of things. You know, we always try and come up with these super spiritual reasons for why it's okay to engage in this stuff. But I submit to you that a lot of it is just simply bloodlust, a category that people don't even acknowledge as a category. You know, people don't even well, think about. To, I mean, just to be fair, horror aficionados do acknowledge that as a category. Right. Like they're extremely open about their love of disgusting things. But and, what they want to do is make this false dichotomy where, you know, I like pretend horrible violence. I don't like real horrible violence. And what I want to say is that that's baloney, since that's the word. I agree with you. I think we need to be very, very careful to... What I actually want to do is I want to compare it to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with the Revoice Conference. What they want to do, what we fought against in those episodes, was they want to say it's okay to look but don't touch. It's okay to fantasize, but don't act. It's okay to have gay urges, but just don't commit sodomy. And what I think is dangerous about what you guys are talking about and what I think Jake's not acknowledging is very dangerous is that you want to allow and to some extent sanctify because you want men to be free to be men and you know you'll have all this language like that but what you're actually doing at the end of the day is sanctifying something that's wicked which is people fantasizing about bloodlust people fantasizing about being macho heroes in godless ways and you're saying well you know as long as we don't act on that in a bad way maybe one day there's a one in a million chance you'd act on it in a good way and god could use it but i just think that's garbage you're refusing to see the the nuance in what i'm saying here okay nuance that for me when you talk about revoice and you talk about the gay celibate movement what you have are people who are fantasizing about sins that are against nature Mm -hmm. okay sins that are against nature fundamentally opposed to Christian godliness and Christian masculinity. Mm -hmm. Just like murdering someone isn't? Just like killing a creature in God's image is... Killing someone in defense of the innocent is not intrinsically sinful or against nature. Now, the bloodlust that's associated with it is a sin of nature. And so if a man has... Do you, do you see the distinction that I'm making? There are sins against nature and there are sins of nature. There are sins that come with being a man mm-hmm. that come with a man trying to be godly in a manful way. And then there are sins that run counter to that. Revoice, the gay celibate Christian movement is a bunch of men sinning against nature, against they were w- the way that God made them to be. Now, nobody's going to look at Hebrews 11 and see the judges and mm-hmm. see Samson and see whoever else, Barak, Jephthah, David, whoever, and, and say that those guys were sinning against nature. But Jake, you, in do their you sins. or do but you not acknowledge gonna... that it is a unnatural and horrifying thing to have to kill a creature made in God's image? Yeah, it's a, it's a consequence of the fall. And so but for it's... us to fantasize about the, okay, you've convinced me that for some times and some places and some situations, it's a necessary evil. Why would we make allowance for men to fantasize about a necessary evil? You keep using the word fantasy. And what I keep wanting to say is that it is a good and manly and godly impulse for men. To daydream? It's a good and you know, godly? No, it's a good and godly impulse for men to want to protect the innocent, to want to protect the weak, and to know that they need to be prepared. If they're going to take responsibility in that situation, they need to be prepared to take responsibility in those kinds of situations. That necessarily requires them to have forethought put into those kinds of situations. You never know when you're going to be called upon to act in that kind of way, and you need to be prepared. It's like anything else. It's like, you know what? Sports are play combat Mm -hmm. that is supposed to teach you how to prepare for real combat. In sports, so much of your work 
in any athletic competition is imagining scenarios, thinking things through, having practiced and drilled into your head and gotten the repetitions down so that you know what's going to happen and what to do and how to respond in any given situation. So you have a situation where you feel that there might be a potential threat. You need to know what you're going to do and how to respond in that situation. If you've not put forethought into that, then you have not taken responsibility. Now, when people do that, when they follow that impulse, there are going to be sins that are associated with that. Yeah, and those what I'm are sins. That you that are grossly underrepresenting how much sin. Okay, fine. Jake Menzel is great. Jake Menzel doesn't mix that much sin into it. He basically calculates the tactical odds so that he can be a better man when he goes into any given situation. I'm saying I am not, there are all I'm kinds not, of men I'm not, out there who spend their lives given to bloodlust, given to fantasies, given to self-aggrandizement. Yes, and, I agree with that. And I think that that's wicked. I've never not said in the course of this show that that is... And what I'm saying Not is that wicked. to even do an episode where you kind of laugh about how we all think about, uh, you know, what we would do in any given situation is to give license for all kinds of what it is is to protect it's only simple my goal is not to give license Mm -hmm. for men to engage in bloodlust my my goal is to give space for there to be samsons and jephthas among us davids among us who have the virtues of men and the and the sins that attend virtuous men and my goal is to say to all the little men out there listening hey, maybe God hasn't called you to be Samson and you need to stop fantasizing about being Samson because it turns out most people in the Western world today aren't called to be Samson. And so stop thinking about how wonderful it is that you could be Samson and you could kill a thousand guys. You probably aren't going to end up killing a thousand guys. And when you let yourself think about that, it's not because you're so godly and you want to be godly like Samson. It's because you You want an easy way out. You just think it would be cool to... You think it'd be cool. You think it'd be cool to be awesome like those guys. You think it'd be cool to have an easy way out from actually doing the hard work of dying to yourself every day of taking the little baby steps required of you to grow in real manliness, of taking out the trash, of cleaning your room, of standing up straight with your shoulders back, of everything that Jordan Peterson is calling men to. <laughs> well, well, hold on, Jake and Nathan. Are you guys saying that this might be true of me when I'm watching The Matrix for the seventh time? I know that's an old reference, but I'm kind of an old guy. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, time out. So are we actually a- a- agreeing? We actually agree. Okay, well, We're let's, let's, to, let's no. agree then. We Reconciliation. Reconciliation. <laughs> Okay, let's. I'm going to drop the devil act. Let's really talk about this because I am profoundly uncomfortable with bloodlust and with macho posturing. And Jake, let's not have a fake de- devil argument here. Can you just acknowledge for me that there's like a billion guys and they love to fantasize about this As stuff? As I've been doing the whole show, really I agree with you. Stupid. There are, <laughs> and that sin is within you when you yeah, find, when your mind drifts during the service and you're suddenly thinking, what would happen and how cool it would be and yeah. Yeah, that's there. Okay, so how do we actually define the difference between protecting people, loving people, laying down our lives for people, fighting the bad guys, doing everything that a man should do, and false machismo? Because I think if the devil has one point, it's that the two things get lumped together a lot. How do you actually distinguish that for yourself? So, I I mean, I think it's difficult. What I was saying earlier is true. You can't have the virtues of men without having the sins of men along 
with that. And so you need to know that, and then you need to be prepared to discipline the sins of men without disciplining away the virtues of men. Mm -hmm. So the impulse to protect people is good. The impulse to think, I've got to know what I'm going to do if something bad happens here, and I've got to be mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared to do something drastic. That's a good impulse, and it's a necessary impulse, and it's the impulse behind the courageous, sacrificial acts that we all love in men that make us cry in movies, Mm -hmm. that we love when we look at David or any of the heroes of scripture. And then there are horrific sins that attend that that have to be disciplined. We have culture that is full of immature young men who are zealous and who want to be manly. Mm. And so they watch John Wick and they think that that's cool and cathartic. And they imagine themselves in these scenarios that justify their bloodlust and then they give themselves over to violent fantasies. Mm -hmm. And that's immature and it's weak. The men who are called to do that, who are called to be faithful in big things Mm -hmm. in those kinds of scenarios and situations are men who have been faithful in little things their whole lives for a long, consistent period of time, by and large. What what this particular kind of young man wants is an easy way out. He doesn't want to have to live a life of constant self-sacrifice. He doesn't want to have to live a life of putting his sin to death, of putting his laziness to death, of dying to himself so that others may live by cleaning his room, by standing up straight with his shoulders back, mm-hmm. by serving the church in small mundane ways. What he wants is one big, glorious way of doing that, that both satisfies his bloodlust and also gets him out of the little baby steps of sanctification along the way. Yeah, I remember seeing, because it is true, as I played the devil, as I played the devil earlier, this kind of thing really bugs me personally. I remember seeing a gentleman who posted on Facebook, I love protecting my wife. That was just his Facebook update. And everybody liked it like, oh, cool. He's so manly. And it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Did you guys get quartered in the alleyway? The other day. Yeah. You're posting that because you want people to validate your manliness, not because you actually are godly. If you're actually godly, you're not the kind of you're the kind of person that just would protect your wife. You're not the kind of person that needs to tell us all about it on Facebook, you know? Yeah, and and, and I brought up in an, a, a much earlier episode of Sound of Sanity a friend of mine who actually did have to draw his gun um, when he was on a family vacation in the city. That was an unpleasant experience. He did not want to draw his gun. He was extremely ga- glad he had his, his gun because he and his family might be dead now if he hadn't. And it left them shook up with a lot of emotional stuff to process. And that dude is manly. What this makes me think of is all the all the times that we hear about soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's psychological consequences for violence, even when it's justified violence and you're defending the innocent. There's going to be repercussions for you. You're not going to feel like just Neo in the Matrix. That's going to be my reference. You're not going to feel like that. And the man who has, who doesn't have the fortitude to take out the trash, to set up or put away chairs at church on Sunday, to, to hand out bulletins cheerfully. To have a covenant with his eyes such that he doesn't look at pornography constantly. Yeah, is not going to have the mental or spiritual strength to deal with any of that. And he's not going to be mm-hmm. the guy called upon in that situation. And he is going to find himself shockingly cowardly Mm -hmm. in that particular moment because what he's been doing has been practicing cowardice Mm. his entire life in every small step. He's been practicing irresponsibility in every small step, in every little way. And he has no idea what kind of coward he actually is. He's trained himself in every other way to run from responsibility and he has no right to expect he's gonna he's gonna run towards it when the guy's holding the gun. The only thing that might motivate him to run towards 
that gun in that situation is not the virtue of manliness, but a deeper and more visceral expression of his cowardice, which is, if I run towards this gun, I get out of the process of sanctification and I get snapped to glory, which is, I think, exactly what will not happen for that man. That's a good way of putting a finger on what I was uncomfortable with that I was expressing as the devil's advocate, which is that so much of the time when we fantasize about this stuff or when we think about this stuff, what we're actually doing is thinking about catharsis. And what we want is not sanctification, not God's discipline, not the lifetime of work that it takes as God sanctifies us, but cheap, easy, quick catharsis. I mean, it's why I think more guys actually fantasize about going down in a hail of bullets than they, at least in my informal poll, than fantasize about being Jason Bourne or John Wick or whatever the reference. Yeah, because if you're Jason Mm -hmm. Bourne or John Wick, then you have to still live a life of sanctification after that. And you have to process all that stuff. If you go down, it's your get out of jail free card. Mm -hmm. And that's how you view sanctification is jail. Right. Maybe some of these guys should watch fewer action movies. It's just a thought. I do think there is, since, since, we've, since we keep coming back to action movies, I will say, I think there are some action movies that cross the line into just being bloodless and no one should ever watch them. I think there are some people that shouldn't watch even the good ones because they're watching it for bloodlust. And I think you have to use your discernment to make those choices for yourself. I can't do it for you on a podcast. Hey, Nathan, easy. The Christian freedom, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they have Christian freedom. They watch whatever you want. And then Christian just, and then freedom don't watch to be godly. T- t- terrible things. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Watch whatever you want and want the right things, idiot. (laughs) Christian freedom to sow to the spirit instead of to the flesh. Mm -hmm. That's right. I will also say the part that I most disagree with the devil on is when people talk like the way I was talking as the devil's advocate there, a lot of times what they're doing is not coming down on false machismo, but they're just hammering men for being men. And I think that's really stupid. Little boys like to play with guns. Maybe that's if you st- take guns away from them, they'll make guns out of the way they bite into their grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, their Duplo <laughs> car will be a gun. C.S. Lewis talks about fighting in the first world war, which is one of the most horrific wars that's ever been known to mankind. He talks about how horrific it is. And then what he says is nowadays people think that in addition to fighting these wars, to bearing with the griefs and the sorrows of fighting these wars, men also have to be glum about it. They have to, um, this is, I'm horribly paraphrasing here, but what he basically says is part of the price that we expect of our soldiers now is that they will feel bad about being soldiers. And he says that's complete baloney. That's garbage. These naturally David's mighty men, soldiers, people like King David have always had a certain joy in their work even as they pay the horrible price. And if you know Marine, you know, my brother's a Marine and was was a Marine, is a police officer. If you know men like that, they do have a certain gung-ho manly quality that I would distinguish from false machismo. I don't know exactly where the line is, but it's kind of, it's like the guy famously said about pornography. I know it when I see it, you know, there's, there's false machismo and then there's manliness, which does take a certain joy in doing the work of fighting, of killing even. I'm not saying taking joy in snuffing out a life, but well, you know I what think I mean? It's, I think, well, I think the same thing is true of preaching. There is the preacher who is swagger and bravado. There's the preacher who regrets that he has to preach the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's a preacher who gets up and in the joy and strength of the Lord, preaches hard truths, knows that he's causing pain, but believes in the work that he's doing, believes that God's using that pain for good, and takes genuine delight 
in it like a good soldier. And that's the kind of person that can read a psalm like Psalm 18, which says, He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me. A few verses later, I pursued my enemies and overtook them and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you have girded me with strength for battle. When you read verses like that, written by King David, who for whom those things are not at all metaphorical. Nope, quite literal. Right. You have to acknowledge that there's a real... And without sin. Right. There's a real godly joy in battle that I think men have. And it's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to parse, but it's real. And we shouldn't take it away from little boys when they're playing with their bows and arrows. And we shouldn't take it away from the men that do serve us by giving their lives as Marines, cops, who are the people that are actually doing that work. And we shouldn't forget that Jesus made a whip of cords, drove the money changers out of the temple and and he's coming back with a sword yep yep here's here's what we're gonna do ben we're gonna but, go to our favorite segment the he-manologians for all things man oh those guys are awesome <laughs> yeah they're great all right they uh, did threaten me once but it was so cool <laughs> 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 Hemanologians, of course, are the manliest men in Sanityville. They tend to always have something good to say about masculinity. So let's check it out. Think you're such a big man? Why don't you just bite off my ring finger and spit it into Mount Doom? Spoofendor is a place that you made up. The yellow house with the chickens is haunted kind of poke the sarcasm meter you guys and thus it seems the true sucker was him this is not an episode of sister wives it's not a good kids movie unless there are spankings that's a fair representation of my point of view (laughs) hey idiots welcome to he-manologians my name is aj and this is bj booyah and this is cj (laughs) and today We're talking about, like, what would you do if an active shooter came into a scenario where you were also in that scenario? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot because just the other day I saw a documentary about a guy trapped in a giant building owned by the Nagasaki Corporation. Like, terrorists came in and he had to kill one to get a gun and then he had to kill other terrorists too. And he walked over broken glass in bare feet. He almost died. I actually also saw a super awesome documentary, and it was about this guy. I think his name was John Wick 2. And this John Wick 2, he killed all these guys, and it was super awesome. And he also almost died. CJ, what's wrong? Why aren't you saying anything, CJ? I was just trying really hard to imagine a gunman coming into a place where I also was. And I just, I find it impossible to imagine somebody being that stupid. If you think about it, like, maybe he doesn't see how cool and manly you are, CJ. What is this? Science fiction? Let's just imagine an alternate universe where people are that dumb. What would you do? Two words. Situational awareness. Wake up. You're in a situation, idiot. Well, I always know when I'm in a situation and I have a tactical mindfulness. Like if someone does a thing, I know I have to respond with the next thing. And then when they do the next thing, I also do a thing, but not always in that order. I think of it a little bit like, from my childhood, a game of checkers. You can end the whole thing quickly by punching your opponent in the face. 
anytime I walk into a situation, first thing I do is I assess where all the exits are so I can laugh at the people running in cowardice. Yeah, if you're going to be that useless, you might as well just call 911. Yeah, if you're going to be that useless, it's like trying to fire your grenade launcher while you're standing on a turtle. Because, like, the turtle is going to move. It's going to throw you off, even if it's really slow, like a turtle. Thanks, BJ. That was a super cool metaphor. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Thanks, fellas. Something's knocking on the door. It's an active shooter. I know it. Cover me quick while I get under the table. Everyone, cover me. Get under the table. You're on my ankle. Oh, squish me. Tactical. Move. Stop. Tactical table. Move, move. Where? Get away. Security. Gentlemen, as Stone Huntington, proprietor of this establishment, let me ask, what in Sam Hill are you doing? Well, I'm here in the corner, curled up in a ball of strength. Yeah, I was like playing dead to distract you so that BJ could pounce. You're lucky you're alive. Gentlemen, your 55 minutes of studio time have come to an end. Well, uh, what if we need 15 more minutes? Well, then I need 122 more dollars. What you need is to show a little respect, Huntington. Oh, I can show you something. Chip, Lance. These clowns giving you any trouble, Mr. Huntington? Because I'm locked and loaded. I've got both exits covered, Stone. Tell your clowns to stand down, Huntington. Sir, is that glass bulletproof? The glass in your brain is bulletproof. Checkmate, idiot. (laughs) Now I know what you fellas are thinking. Old Chip there, he was out shooting clay pigeons with his little old shotgun. And did he fire five rounds? Or six? (laughs) What you gotta ask yourself is just one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Buck? Sound of Sanity was engineered by Benjamin J. Sulzer, produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced by Jacob Benzel and Nathan Alberson. Till next time, folks. Stay sane.